Rock, Season 3 of the Telly Award-winning podcast. Coming at you like the funky headhunter himself, MC Hammer. Every time you see it, the block is just so hype. We're dope on the floor and we're magic on the mic. You absolutely, positively cannot touch the writer's block. Nice. Very nice. I am Rylan Grant, maniac, screenwriter, Ringo award-winning grader of fine comics like Afrin, Banjack, Suicide Jockeys. I messed it up. And now Fa Sheng Origins, the other voice in the dark, the man on the box to the left is... David Avalone, uh, screenwriter, film guy, uh, comic book writer, coffee achiever. Love it. Uh, if you missed any of our previous uh, episodes, conversations featuring uh, luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, uh, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many, many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it all out. Um, great show today. Uh, you have anything to plug today, Avalone, before we uh, get see. on the balmy day of June 15th? I think we're a week away from Elvira in Horrorland 2, which has my favorite title I've ever written in my life. Uh, Elvira finds herself stuck in the movie The Shining, and the title is She's a Kubrick House. She's mighty, mighty. She's letting it all hang out. Uh, the song could have been written for her, really. Uh, so that is, I don't think that drops the 15th. I think it drops a week later. I hope I don't uh, regret that I said that and be wrong. But it's something like that. Uh, Rylan, what do you got going on? Um, well, you all missed the uh, Fashing Origins Kickstarter. Uh, hopefully you didn't miss it. Uh, uh, it, it yeah, it seems like uh, a lot of you contributed to it. But if you did miss it, uh, you can go to the Immortal Studios website and pre-order it right now. Uh, if you just Google Immortal Studios or if you go to immortal-studios.com, you can find it there. Um, crazy wuxia kung fu action. It's a historical drama first and foremost. Uh, a little uh, Zen Buddhism in there. Um, something for everybody. You're gonna love it. Uh, go check it out. But um, yeah, I think that's all I have right now. Um, let's uh, let's bring the crew on. Leo, bringing in our guest Barbara Dylan, Fre frequent guest Barbara Dylan. The the the, the recently Eisner nominated uh, Barbara. That's Dillon. right. We will talk about that in a second. And Jordan Hart. Hey, Jordan. Hello. Howdy, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, tell the kids at home a little bit about yourself. Oh, all right. Uh, well, I'm a comic book writer in SoCal, and uh, I've really only ever wanted to do two things in my life, and the majority was working comic books. And then for like five or seven, maybe like five or six years, it was be a Hollywood stunt double. So, um, you know, the bar was really set high with comic books. I was like, what's the only thing cooler than that? Maybe being a stunt double. But uh, sure. as we'll get into later, uh, it's good that that career did not uh, did not pan out or was not pursued and uh, that I found my way home uh, to comics. So um, I've written uh, a couple of titles. Uh, they're all pretty much genre books, sci-fi, horror, uh, comedy horror. So Terminark was my first comic. And then uh, after that was Doppelganger, which was kind of like a uh, horror comedy, like Fright Night in the 80s. And uh, now I have my most recent uh, book that I'm most excited about uh, dropping in two weeks uh, with Barbara and Fanbase Press called Ripple Effects. Um, Actually, it's dropping today. Oh, yes. Remember, dropping we're in today. the future. 
We're <laughs> not in the future. So Max That's Edwin. Right. Kind of I forgot thing. about the portal we went through in the group. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Wormhole and all that. So yeah. available today. Yeah. Is that Galactus behind you? Uh, it is. Yes. Yeah. Or are you just uh, glad to see me? And Kirby, Kirby Galactus panel. That's another Galactus. Both Mondo posters. Nice. Galactus, so. Very nice. I have never been a stunt double, but I have been a photo double for Austin Pendleton. And I have mixed feelings about that. Oh, uh, I, I, uh, I, I played a dead body on CSI once and uh, it was a dream come true. So I, I, I need to find a new dream. Yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah. that is, that is definitely, I have been, I've been a dead body or two in my life. I think if you're in Hollywood long enough, you definitely get to be a dead body or two. Yeah, a walking uh, one, a walking corpse. Um, and uh, Barbara, unmute your mic and tell us a little bit you about got it. it. Well, first and foremost, before I say anything about myself, congrats to our hosts on their Telly Award. That was very exciting. Was Thank that you. last week that that was announced? Uh, well, yeah, well, last, last week upon recording, uh, yeah. Yeah, two and a half ago, weeks. Yeah, two and a half weeks. <laughs> yes. yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Of course, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you for having me on again. For those uh, that I do not know, I am the editor-in-chief of Fanbase Press. We are a comic book publisher and geek culture website based in Southern California. And uh, we love highlighting uh, various voices and being an inclusive and safe space for geeks. So that's a little bit about me. And I'm super excited uh, that Jordan is joining me today. I love his series, Ripple Effects. Obviously, we, we do because we're publishing it. We're super excited to talk to your listeners and viewers about it uh, and hope that folks will check it out uh, starting today on Hoopla. Yeah, you, let's start. Let's actually start there and work backwards to the premise. You you're doing a fairly unique release with this, uh, starting digitally only on Hoopla. Is that correct? That's correct. Jordan, I'm happy to, to take this one if you'd like. Um, so uh, anytime uh, for the past few years that we have done an issue to issue limited series, uh, we've al always done a digital first release of the issues. And then we do a collected printed edition uh, that, that folks can purchase online on, on our website uh, at conventions as well as comic book stores. Um, but uh, yeah, we find that uh, especially working with a platform like Hoopla, which reaches folks all over the country, and starting now internationally as well through libraries. It's just a, a really great way because I mean, so many folks are taking advantage of digital media, especially in light of the pandemic. You know, the, the libraries and the digital media has been invaluable. Uh, I know I'm still at home quarantining because I have little ones. So anything that I can not have to go out of the house for is wonderful and much appreciated. So we hope that that providing it through Hoopla uh, will be uh, a, an added benefit or a resource for folks who may be in a similar situation. That's great. Yeah, it's. I mean, it seems. I, I I always say that Kickstarter is good for comic book creatives, if only because they un, they they begin to dimly understand how narrow the margins of publishing comics are, and particularly monthly floppies mm -hmm. are. It is astonishing that anyone makes any money doing it. Um, it's and, true, and, it's, and it's, honestly, it's unfortunate that you know Comicsology in its initial iteration, no longer exists. Everything has moved over to Amazon with their uh, KDP, their Kindle Direct program, but uh, uh, not uh, as, as folks who may be, un may be familiar with KDP. It's not the best platform, unfortunately, both for the user experience as well as the, the creator experience. Um, but uh, we, we would have also had it available through Comixology. Um, we're only releasing trade or collected editions through KDP at this time. So, so we're excited to be able to work with Hoopla. 
Sure, that's great. So now let's talk about the the project itself, Jordan. How did this uh, how did this bubble up for you? What made you want to do Ripple Effect? Uh, well, this this is a story that's that's been with me for for a while. So um, you know, the quick premise of Ripple Effects is that it's a five issue miniseries that follows a superhero who's battling an invisible illness. So um, the protagonist, George Gibson, is invincible but he's a type one diabetic. So literally nothing can hurt him except his own body. Um, so that's, that's the setup. That's the premise of, of the book. And um, how that came to me uh, is that when I was 25, um, I suffered through a couple of uh, pulmonary embolisms, which are blood clots in the lungs. Um, and after our two years of, of working through that, uh, found out that I have, um, thrombophilia, which is basically a blood disease. Uh, it's the umbrella term for uh, anyone that produces blood clots uh, in their blood. So uh, I was put on anticoagulants, blood thinners um, indefinitely. And, and I remember sitting in the hospital uh, thinking that I'm sure glad I didn't become a stunt double because, you know, like, yeah, the doctors don't even want me using a razor to shave. How am I going to go take a pratfall out of a 30 uh, story? <laughs> you know, like, that career would have ended immediately or at least a couple years into it. Um, so that is where the seed basically for the idea came while I was in the hospital. Like that'd be a really interesting story. Right. Um, I had, I was not writing comics at the time. I actually mm -hmm. wasn't even published in any type of writing. Um, but it kind of just, you know, being a lifelong comic fan, I'm like, that's a great premise for a book. And uh, luckily uh, 12 years later, that premise has really <laughs> not been, happened yet. So I was able to, uh, you know, start working in comics and kind of get my career ready. And then um, I was ready to, to tell the story. Um, so I talked to Barbara and Brian, who I'd been friends uh, with from Fanbase Press for about five years, just through my previous books, doing podcasts and always seeing them at the SoCal cons. And uh, I just talked to Barbara. I like lightly pitched it. She's like, send me an email, sent her the pitch deck I put together. And they, they made me an offer and it was, it was great. It was the only place I wanted to work with. And, and it was the only time in my life that the one place I, I shot for actually happened. So mm -hmm. uh, it was pretty cool. That's great. Um, just to, who's the artist on the book? Uh, Bruno Chirulio is uh, the artist and he is in um, Brazil. So he was, he was great. We found him online and, uh, He's just got a really, really good style that it's, uh, you know, it's not cart, it's not cartoonish, like it's still really good proportions, but it's, I would say it's just lighter. Um, you know, it's kind of a, not a heavier book, but a more heavier topic. So we thought having a lighter art style would just pair nicely with it. And we've got a great team all around. Justin Harder, who uh, he, you may not know the name, but his work it will be very familiar to you. He's doing the covers for the entire series. Uh, he did the artwork, and Jordan, correct me if I'm if I'm uh, wrong here. He did the final credits artwork for. Um, oh, I was going to say Daredevil, not Daredevil. Deadpool. <laughs> Deadpool. Deadpool. Yep. <laughs> for the Man, Deadpool I mean, movie. Yes. And Thor: The Dark World, My yeah. Little Pony. So he, yeah, he's on the film side of everything, and. Luckily, a friend of ours, so agreed Absolutely. to do the covers. 
Yeah, and the lettering and just overall layout is by Oceana Ransford, who's an Eisner-nominated uh, letterer. He does amazing work. He does almost all of our books, so we're excited to have him back. And uh, Shane Kadlicic, who is doing the flatting. So just a, a really fantastic team all around. Nice. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to acknowledge everybody that that's worked on it. That is, I mean, the, the really the greatest effect the internet has had on comics is that. Oh, my ride's here. Uh, the uh, yeah, they're, they've come for me at last. Finally, <laughs> shown up to take you to the booby hatch, huh? Only a matter of time. Um, just so many of the artists that I've worked with, I've never met face to face. That's that part's not a positive. Mm -hmm but the ability to collaborate with people all over the world instantaneously instead of this FedEx package should reach you eventually uh, is uh, is quite a thing. Well, and, and Brazil is such a hotbed. Um, I mean, I'm working with, you know, I think three artists out of Brazil, um, just so much talent down there. And um, I mean, great for us because, you know, as indie creators, um, you know, a, a, a foreign artist can be, a, a, you know, a little bit, you know, less expensive. Um, it, it helps your budget go uh, a, a longer way. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, our, our, our artist on Fashing Origins, you know, he's, uh, um, you know, he lives in the Philippines and um, there is not a lot of artwork for him in the Philippines and he's supporting a couple of kids. And uh, the fact that he can connect with all of us on Facebook and, you know, find, uh, you know, well-paying jobs and, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's living like a king over there, you know? <laughs> um, so this, this global marketplace is, uh, it's really great for everybody. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, this wasn't possible even like five years ago. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, we're we're living in this. Uh, I mean, we we love to complain about how how awful things are, but um, but but things are are amazing in a lot of other ways, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's. Absolutely. I mean, we we were you know wealth of artists to choose from, so we we were very gracious and very appreciative of how many folks were interested in, in working on the series and, and being able to work with Bruno is just, has been a wonderful experience and a great process overall. Yeah, there was a, there was a, an explosion of Filipino artists in the seventies, but they all had to come to New York city. <laughs> they, 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 they did not get to stay in Manila. They all had to pay New York city rents to work mm -hmm. for DC and Marvel and all that. Um, it's an, in, it's an interesting choice to go with, type one diabetes over what you personally had experienced where did you choose it because it's more easily grasped by the audience and more common um yeah that was that was a real uh difficult decision for me because the whole time it was thrombophilia what i have that's that's what george the protagonist had um but i could just never get like halfway through the first issue it was just like too close to home, you know, like mm -hmm. there's still, and I'll be the first to admit that there's still like a lot of buried things there that, you know, I don't care to go back to. And, and it was doing that. So um, my colleague at work, uh, Perry had been a, ha, is a type one diabetic and he, he's been a type one diabetic since he was seven years old. So we were partners um, and we both kind of really connected over our chronic illnesses, you know, because it would interfere with work, it would interfere with things. And we were both afraid to tell our coworkers about it, you know, because uh, we were working, you know, uh, with a couple of uh, partners in the Midwest. And that's where I grew up. And it's just sometimes it's looked, uh, it, you know, it, 
if you're ill, it's almost looked at like a weakness, if that makes sense. And I know um, that's just a, that's not an overall statement. That's just my experience from growing up in the Midwest. So um, we were both scared about that and, and um, we really connected. And I knew if I made George the character a type one diabetic, Perry would help me tell the most authentic story possible. And, th and that's what I really wanted to do. So I still poured like my internal feelings of having a chronic illness into it, but, but the physical manifestation is insulin instead of blood thinners. So sure. that, that was really the why just to, to be accurate and having Perry as a resource. Sure. Yeah. And you know, it, it, if that wasn't the intention, it is still, it is still a more universal and common thing. It's a remarkably common thing. Well, I, I, people get it immediately. I mean, you, you yeah. would have to, you know, even, even David and I were, were pretty well-read informed people. You would have, you would have to explain to us what your affliction is, you know? Sure. Um, and, and you can do that in a book, of course, but it's like, but you know, you pitch it in one line, we get it immediately. And, and yeah. it's, it's what I love. There are two things that I love about it is, you know, I mean, the first thing is, okay, well, how do you, how do you immediately humanize Superman and make him relatable? I mean, I, I have a problem with Superman uh, uh, just historically. I, I, I have a very hard time getting into it because I Superman and I have nothing in common, you know? <laughs> um, uh, and, and, and I think that a lot of superhero books that get caught up in plot and, oh yeah, this is the one where he fights this guy, or this is the one where there's this alien attack and he's got to beat it back. And, and it, you, it, you're trying to pitch it, you immediately go to plot. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Um, you pitched it to us. You immediately went to character, right? Okay. You know, yeah. you know, Superman, you know, of course your character is not Superman, but you, you know, what if Superman had this, you know, and it's like, Oh wow, that's really interesting. How, how would he do his job? How would, when, when the aliens attacked, like how, what would happen? That that's really good. You started from character. I'm in it immediately. I want to know what happens. And I, I mean, I think that, um, in that, I mean, you know, a lot of our, our audience, it's it's creators, would-be creators. It's people trying to, uh, you know, pitch a, a series to publishers like Fanbase Press. And 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 how do you how do you slip one past the goalie? It's well, start with character, right? You walked up to Barbara, you gave her a two-line pitch, and you started with character, and she was like, "Oh wow, that sounds really interesting. Send me more." Um, that's exactly. Fully, fully agree. Yeah. Yep, totally about the character. Yeah. And honestly, we were so unfamiliar with the the field or the genre of graphic medicine. And for those who may be unfamiliar who are watching this, graphic medicine it is simply the pairing of the field of medicine. And that can be anything, physical, mental, all different kinds of, of medical uh, attributes uh, and comics. So it's it's the marriage of those. And I'm sure that some folks who that term may be unfamiliar to them. They've seen graphic memoirs before. I think it's either Dark Knight or Darkest Night. The Paul Dini story that came out a number of years ago is a, a graphic medicine or a graphic memoir. Um, and there are tons that have been coming out and they're absolutely amazing. They're not just from recognizable you know, celebrities as it were. They are from folks of all walks of life that are simply sharing their lived experience of whatever their um, area of medicine that they're sharing their lived experience. I mean, I've, I've read graphic memoirs about women who had challenges giving birth um, or uh, challenges getting pregnant. Um, and it's a whole field of things and, and it can be mental health, not just physical health. So it's, it's a really fascinating field that we ourselves at Fanbase Press have learned a great deal about since talking with Jordan about this project. And it's, it's so exciting for us to be able to delve more into that community, which is vibrant and amazing, um, and to be able to share not only Jordan's story, but uh, I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, the stories of, uh, we have a number of contributors, uh, 
contributing essays in each issue about their own lived experiences with various uh, invisible disabilities. And, and and it's another lesson. I mean, the um, you hear it over and over again, but people tend to ignore it, uh, just discard it immediately. It's, it's this write what you know thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you are an expert on you. You're an, you're an expert on your experience, your condition, your job, your, uh, you know, the events that happen to you. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, uh, uh, Jordan, I don't know anything about fighting aliens or, 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 or super villains. I can imagine, and, and I can carry it off. I have carried it off in, in comic books, but, um, you know, if you want something authentic and you want something that's going to, you know, sort of ring true to people, right. You, you, you write what you know. Um, and, and you know, this obviously, and you've wrestled with it and, you know, not just from an informational standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint, a psychological standpoint, how it affects the people around you, how it affects your, your, your job, your life, your relationships, all of that stuff. Um, and that's really interesting, meaty stuff, especially in, in this heightened world and this heightened, you know, okay. Yeah all of that, but he's also Superman, you know, um, uh, that's really interesting, you know, sign me up. Well, and that's the, that's, that's the, I always say that's the appeal of genre overall is the aliens aren't the aliens. The aliens are your fears. The aliens yeah. are everything in your life that doesn't work out the way you want it yeah. to. And that's why we write genre yeah. because a guy wrestling with his demons is a guy sitting, staring off into space. If you can make him actually wrestle demons, yeah, the audience goes. Yeah, that's actually what that feels like. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Buffy sleeps with Angel. She loses her virginity, like, like you know, like all you know women do at some point. Uh, and and the guy immediately turns into a demon. You know, Angel becomes Angelus. Like, like th- there's a beautiful poetry in that drama, right? It's 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 everyone's worst fear, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, it is this beautiful parallel. And so if you can, if you can strike that, it's, it's, it's gold. And that's what it feels like when someone you love doesn't return your phone calls. Like that's, that's the thing. There's a drama to that and great writers can make a lot out of someone not returning your phone call, but there's a lot to be said for the metaphorical, not returning the phone call of, Oh, he has horns and a tail now. (laughs) Uh, You know, that's, uh, that's, that's what we're all, that's what we're all doing in genre. And the yep. I had actually never heard the expression graphic medicine mm-hmm. until I saw it in your email. Uh, it reminded me, you talked about psychological things. Um, I have a comic that's not out yet. It took me the longest time to write it. Uh, it's a creator-owned thing. I won't even say which one because that's it's a spoiler for the people waiting for the issue. But uh, I needed to write about a suicide attempt. I have never attempted suicide, but I have certainly gotten to the edge of the consideration of it. And boy, it took some out of me to get myself into the headspace of what would make me jump off a building mm-hmm. and how can I write about that? And uh, the next thing, the next issue, our hero is in a mental hospital involuntarily because he made a suicide attempt. And uh, that experience I have not had. And I called up, you know, a half dozen people who I know have worked in that field and asked for their input and their advice. And of course, the fascinating thing was everything they said contradicted, like all six people had versions of the story where they said that would never happen. And then the next person said, oh, that happens all the time. I've seen it with my own eyes. I go, okay, now I can synthesize this information into something that will hopefully be useful to people. Uh, and that's the, you know, we talk about representation a, a lot, but illness 
is sort of the great underrepresented thing. I would say that and fatness. Like even, you know, my, my wife always loves pointing out like Bridgerton is very racially inclusive and it's very colorblind and it's casting and all that. But the fat girl is not playing the bell of the ball. She's playing the one that hides in her room and writes the thing. Like it, mm, you kind of missed the boat on diversity there in a really huge way that was invisible to everyone working on it because it is the ocean they swim in. Mm -hmm. Of course, the fat girl's the only one that nobody's in love with. Got it. Easy. You know, so the job now is, you know, to also not make that mistake. And, and there are so, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say there are so many facets to inclusivity that are obviously, I mean, every, every um, element of inclusivity, we still need to go farther in, we need to strive more. But just like you were alluding to, David, uh, mental health, physical health, physical differences, and meaning physical abilities and, and just limb differences, these are things that are often not represented, definitely in media, meaning TV and film, but in comics as well. And something that we certainly strive to do, even age differences. I mean, I, I think that that's something we're maybe starting to see in TV and film a little bit more. You have um, some older actors as the leads, uh, which is wonderful because you need that difference and, and representation as well. But things like differences in health and, and disabilities, whether they be physical, mental, emotional, neurological differences, these are just a lot of things that are that are overlooked and we still need to, to take further strides on. Yeah, I, I do think that something happened in the last 20 mm -hmm. years, uh, possibly post 9-11, possibly a bunch of other things. But there was a minute there where every you, if you dug one layer into every show, they were about PTSD. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I yeah. remember there was a summer that I was watching the in uh, Unbeatable Kimmy Schmidt. I can't remember what uh, what adjective Kimmy Schmidt is. Unbreakable? Or Unbreakable. Or Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. And yeah. Jessica Jones. And at one point I turned to my wife and I said, these are the same show, actually. <laughs> the premise of this, both of these shows are about women who escaped from charismatic supervillains and are trying to rebuild their life. And one of them is a sick, they're both set in lower Manhattan. They're, you know, they both feature charming leading ladies and one of them punches people and the other one laughs and cries and tries to get a job. And it's, it was just kind of fascinating to me that these two sitcoms that on their surface couldn't have less in common with each other were both actually about recovering from toxic relationships mm -hmm. uh, in, in the same way. So, you know, what and, and great that we can have multiple iterations of what trauma looks like and how it looks different on different people, because yeah. I mean, that's what we need. We need more. You know, it's it sucks when there's one character that has to serve as the archetype for absolutely everybody. And as we know, every individual is different. So being able to see what something looks like on, on two different people is amazing. And I hope we, we have more of that as, oh, as similar as it seems, because the, the story or the 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 underlying story and character is similar um but how different they can be as well well i will get back to physical illness and disability and, and differently abled in a second but it's it's something that i noticed a whole zillion years ago and i've always been kind of fascinated by it. the entire history of genre literature entertainment what have you is about war veterans with ptsd <laughs> i mean the Iliad. Well, yeah, a Baron. Yeah, Aberrant. Uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah. 
uh, yeah, operations commander loses uh, his unit in a superhuman attack and uh, and is suffering from PTSD. And uh, the way he works it out is he goes after the eccentric billionaire he thinks is uh, responsible. That's 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 a, that's exactly yeah, fifth century Athens. We're yeah. all writing stories about yeah. veterans of the Trojan War. Yeah. Every Western you watch, look out for the guy in the blue or gray cap. Yeah who is still angry about the Civil War, John Wayne in The Searchers with the gray <laughs> great coat on. Yeah. Gangster movies in the 30s, they're all, the first scene in the Roaring Twenties takes place in the trenches of Europe. What caused gangsters? We taught all these guys how to kill and then we brought them home. 1940s, 1950s, your hero in film noir is a very sad World War II or Korean War veteran. In the 70s, it became very sad, very angry Vietnam War veterans. We are now using Gulf War veterans, not quite the same way we abused Vietnam veterans in movies and television in the 70s. But it's just a fascination to me that like the lazy writing shorthand for man with a past is let's put a gray overcoat on that guy. And now he's a Confederate and we know what a sad loser bastard he is. Uh, and that's that's kind of a fascinating thing. But physical disability, we have yet to see, uh, you know. James James Bond isn't checking his blood sugar uh, before he before he gets on the jet ski, and that uh, that's a very new thing. Well, and I think what was certainly what and Jordan, you can speak to this as well. Uh, uh, but I think what we really tried to stay away from is that when you when there are instances of seeing those stories, when there's a character with a disability, um, it's usually the disability that is the the plot point itself. It's, you know, I I now have this disability and I have to overcome it. That That is my obstacle to overcome or my call to action is, is overcoming my, my disability or, or dealing with it. Um, and that's not the case uh, with Jordan. Jordan, I'll defer to you to talk about, you know, what, what your hope was with the series and the story you were trying to tell. Yeah, yeah, that was just my my exact hope is is that it's it's something that there is no fight. Like George has type one diabetes, there's no cure. He knows there's nothing he can do about it. Like that's his situation. The story is about him coming to terms with that, and and more so him not letting it define him, not letting him, not letting it hold him back. Which you know mirrors what I went through, you know, like, like you, when I was diagnosed, I felt like I didn't know who I was anymore. Like I was the guy that wanted to be a stunt double and went 60 miles per hour on his bicycle and water skied and skied down black, you know, wood trails. Like that's who I was. Who am I now? Now that I can't do that, you know, and, and that, that's really what ripple effects is about is, is coming to terms with it. And, 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 embracing it and seeing how what you know can be looked at as a negative like what are the positives that that it gives you and that's what you'll really see uh as ripple effects unfolds is that how george's type 1 diabetes really makes him the greatest superhero of all and it's not about his strength or his powers or what he can do it's about who he is on the inside and and that was really the message we want really stride to hit it's interesting. Yeah, I, I can say I, I got a type 2 diabetes diagnosis about eight years ago. Uh, and like a number of supposedly horrible things that have happened to me, it redefined the rest of my life in a way that turned out to be sort of enormously positive in that it made me pay attention to my body. Uh, young people, we tend to be reckless with our bodies. 
because they're not going to hurt us. They're not going to betray us. You're going to, you know, fall down a flight of stairs and get up and go, oh, I fell down a flight of stairs. You know, like nothing's going to creak. Nothing's going to hurt. Uh, I used to be a grip and I literally in the shower the next morning, I would find all of the places I had cut myself on set and been too busy to bleed. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, look at that. I tore up my left, right shin carrying that thing. And I just didn't have the time to go, ow, that hurts. I should step aside and look at my leg for a minute. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's it's worth uh, the statistic thing of men, single men die a good decade uh, younger than married men because no one is there to say, that looks bad. You should go to a doctor with that. Uh, and I was married, but the illness I had was not physically visible. Um, so I needed a doctor to say, that looks bad. You should do something about that. But the feeling you get, it's an odd thing that I feel more in control of my life and my body and my destiny, knowing how much of it is in my control and how much mm -hmm. I could do. And a fascinating thing, I lost about 30 pounds between diagnosis and follow-up, about four months. And my doctor was kind of shocked. And I said, "What? well, there was a gun to my head. Like, what was I supposed to do? And she said, "You most middle-aged men, if you tell them change or die, they go, I'll die. That's okay. You know, <laughs> like, I'll, it's eh, 10 years off my life, but I'm 50. So what? That's I'm going to die at 70 instead of eight. You know, I'll roll the dice. And it's a learning how many people roll the dice is kind of a fascinating thing. So having a hero that is monitoring his health, you know, in a, in a, in a serious and daily way. Uh, does he have a, uh, does he have an implant? Uh, no, he does not. He had, he uh, is doing injections. Um, and that's one of the uh, story wrinkles that we worked out is that, okay, well, how is someone with that's invincible? His, how his power mechanics work, uh, we call the damage, damage negation. Basically, you know, any force that hits him is just absorbed by his skin and ripples off. It right. That's where the title comes from. So how, how, how could he ever inject insulin into his body if nothing right. can get through his skin? So um, the solve that uh, I had was that, well, you know, bodies evolve, bodies adapt, bodies are very intuitive. So the, the wrinkle is that only he can penetrate his skin. Sure. So he's the one that has to inject himself. And this becomes a problem in the story when, uh, well, if he's unconscious right. and he's crashing, there's nothing anyone can do because he's the only one that could get through. So that really becomes, uh, you know, this paradox that he has to live with is that um, he's the only one that can get through his power and he's the only one that can save himself. And, uh, in, in the first issue, we meet his diabetes nurse, who's the only person in on the secret as the story begins, because mm -hmm. she can't take his blood. She can't do stuff. So she trains him how to do that. And then, and then he uh, can do it there. And, you know, I think I, I became very close with my nurses. Um, so there's a lot of like personal history into that, you know, that you when you're chronically ill, you kind of become first name basis with healthcare workers, which, you know, um, is cool, but also is like, you know, when you walk in his office and all the nurses wave and say, hi, Jordan, all the other patients look at you like, who is this guy? <laughs> like, 
it's it's great but uh but yeah so that that was what we we tried to work in as well sure i mean it's it's an interesting thing just in the same issue of diversity and inclusivity it's always kind of amazing how our human beings health is an an inextricable part of their lives and it's so rare that any writer ever uses it it's so like at the very least, shouldn't James Bond get headaches after shit explodes next to him? You know, like ears, his ears would ring would yeah, pretty ears frequently. Ring all the time, or I mean, even, even just a gunshot in all the yeah. movies. Like, literally, if a gun fired in your hand, your ears would yeah. be ringing for 30 I, seconds. A prop guy minutes. told me once at while handing me an AK-47 and some earplugs, yeah. he said, so the first time you fire an AK-47, you lose 25% of your hearing if you're not wearing ear protection. I said, so the entire, then this was during the Cold War. I said, so the Red Army is deaf, pretty yeah. much. And they said, kind of, yeah. Like that's a, like it's an, it's an under, governments don't care much about the long-term health of their soldiers. Uh, they can hear well enough to fight. Uh, yeah, they're not going to appreciate the symphony quite like they did when they get back to Moscow. The minute they run one round through an AK-47, and that just blew my mind. And I said, "Yes, I'll take the headphones." I, I was I, I was devastated when uh, when James Garner died because uh, I needed to see the Jim Rockford late life movie where he was wrestling with CTE because he was knocked unconscious in the Rockford Files <laughs> literally every week. My father wrote private eye novels, and he, like everyone in the fifties, Ed Noon was knocked over the head with gun butts. <laughs> flower, flower pots, everything. And in the 1960s, he read an article about concussions. Mm. And from then on, Ed Noon is constantly drugged. <laughs> like, you know, there's a transition uh, yeah. in the series. No one hits him over the head anymore. And it's constantly chloroform or like <laughs> something to knock him out because my dad went, holy shit, this guy would be dead 20 times over from the yep. sheer amount of concussions he has received and even chloroform is one of those things i'm sure it, there are long-term effects for that it's actually no one if you uncap the bottle of chloroform and put the rag over it and you're not wearing a gas mask you are now unconscious <laughs> with a open bottle of chloroform in front of you oh dear. Uh, there's a really great book called you can't win written by a turn of the century criminal. And he talks about trying to pull off a job with chloroform. And he's like, we opened the bottle and then everybody passed out and we couldn't chloroform the guards or anything. Cause he's like, so don't use chloroform. <laughs> it's, it's bad. I did in my first Betty Page comic, I used chloroform because I, there's, there's a joke that I absolutely love uh, where the bad guy has his hand over his nose and says, hey, does this rag smell like chloroform? as he's holding it up to her face. Nice. And as she passes out, she's thinking, I have no idea what chloroform smells like. Well, I do now, I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, does it smell like chloroform to you? Um, but anyway, it's just a funny, it, but yeah, it just the, the chronic illnesses that all of these people would have mm -hmm. from the For broken sure. limbs and the broken legs and the various holes in them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I got I got stabbed a couple of times in the mid '90s. It's a very long and ridiculous story, but just once, I would like a superhero to go, or a, a you know, a secret agent or a spy or someone in a show to go. Oh, it's going to rain tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can tell because all of this car, you know, Batman should constantly be going, uh, Gotham <laughs> City is going to be overcast again tomorrow. My scar tissue feels like shit. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny how <laughs> here you go. And there's that book. I mean, just, just keep bringing them up. I've got a Ryland's all over it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah Banjax is about a superhero who is he is literally dying because he, you know, his his uh because of the damage uh you know inflicted on him uh after a a a couple of decades of defending the city, you know, defending yeah. the city is literally killing him and he's pissed off about it. <laughs> Well, and you know, and Jim Starlin did the groundbreaking death of Captain Marvel, where he basically just said, "Yeah, superhero gets cancer and dies." Yeah, that's it. That's because yeah. yeah. how is it that this entire group of people has who are constantly ingesting poison gas and cosmic rays and whatever, uh, and yet somehow they're you know, <clears throat> the thing is just a giant walking melanoma, and yet his health seems pretty good, you know. Well, that's I think that's right. I think that's the thing to your point, David. I, I think you bring up a great issue that we we don't see the impact of this. We don't see these stories. We don't talk about it. It's not a story point at all. Um, and that's honestly, you know, why ripple effects is so important. But even even more to that, why we wanted to include these essays in each issue of the series because there is, like you were talking about, David earlier about suicidal ideation. I mean, for many, the thought of suicide or even talking about it is hugely stigmatized. Uh, no one wants to talk about it. And honestly, you doing that comic, David, is amazing and does a lot to help people because I, I myself used to work in mental health and used to teach first aid, mental health first aid. And there is a giant myth, a complete misnomer that if you talk about suicide with someone who may be contemplating suicide, that it will encourage them to do so, which is completely false. It's just yeah. wrong. It's there's so much stigma about these things and so much uh, misinformation that it's helpful to talk about it, to represent it. So we we brought in um, four different individuals plus Jordan to tell their lived experience and, of course, relate it back to um, the series in some way, you know, instances that may have occurred throughout the the issues. Um, but we got wonderful folks. I mean, we have a uh, comic book creator, Mike on who did a series called out of order. And he talks about his living with paranoid schizophrenia and what that's like, what the stigma was that he didn't talk about it with his family for decades. And that doing this comic book series allowed him the opportunity to talk about it and how helpful that was and how much he was able to connect with people and see that people just cared about him. You know, that wasn't something he had to hide. And, and we have other essays on uh, multiple sclerosis and uh, Jordan talks about his uh, thrombophilia. And the first issue, uh, we talk about type 2 diabetes. Uh, Dr. Teresa Rojas, uh, who is on the board of Graphic Medicine International and runs the Latinx Comic Arts Festival in Modesto, uh, she has type 2 diabetes. And so she talks about her experience with that as well. But I think it it just goes so far to do exactly what you're talking about, David, of let's not hide these things. You know, let's make them more apparent. Let's and Ryland, like the stories that you're creating, you know, these these are real things. So let's see what that looks like. And let's let's hear about these lived experiences. Yeah, exactly. What happens when real people you know, again, if, 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 if it was possible to get super, you know, superpowers, it would, I, I mean, in my case, uh, you know, in both my books with Aberrant and Banjax, the wrong people get the powers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, these are people you would not want to get And and, and, but, but, but here's the thing is we could all become the wrong person, right? Mm -hmm. If I got superpowers, it would go very poorly. You know, uh, I would, I, there is, you know, if I was invincible, you know, well, why wouldn't I just take, 
You know, <laughs> I would be a complete asshole. You know, I mean, I, 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 at least if I got them. I in my highly 20s, doubt that, right? Uh, now, 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 maybe not. If I got them in my twenties, absolutely, one hundred percent. Any of us. Um, but, but, but again, just what if a regular person? You know, regular people. We are flawed. We have, uh, you know, we have physical ailments. We have psychological ailments. We have um, moral ailments. All of these things. Um, and so the reality would be much more complex than what we are generally presented with. And, and that is my problem with, with most of our media. I mean, try working in films, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about the invincible superhero, try working with fucking Jason Statham or Vin Diesel, you know, you're, you're writing a fight scene and it's like, oh no, no, I, 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 I don't go down. It's like, Inhuman. Well, there, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what do you mean? You're, you're in a fight with like five people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't go down. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. It's one of the reasons people loved Raiders of the Lost Ark is yeah. Indiana Jones takes a punch to the face, he falls over. Yeah. And a little blood trickles out of his nose. Yeah, yeah. And it's still fantasy, and this there's still everybody's punches makes the sound of a two by four hitting the size of an elephant, but yeah. it's still it's <clears throat> better than that invincible thing. Yeah. And, you know, if you go back and read the, uh, I've been bringing him up a lot because he has a lot of physical and mental health issues. But if you go back and read the James Bond novels, there's there's no invincibility there. Uh, the famous ski chase scene from Honor Majesty's Secret Service is a almost, uh, what's the word? Uh, stream of consciousness guy skiing in the dark down one of the Alps going, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. You know, every scuba, Ian Fleming was clearly terrified of scuba. Every time James Bond puts on a scuba suit and goes under, he's like, oh, is that a barracuda? I'm pretty sure that's a barracuda. Okay. <laughs> you know, and of course, he's also just taken amphetamines so that he can stay up all night. And it's like, I'd love to see more of that. Yeah where the guy's like, yeah, I, I took some uppers because we're going on a commando raid at three in the morning and I'd like to sort of be awake while I'm shooting people and being shot at. And uh, I always think it only, it doesn't diminish your heroes. It only makes them richer yeah. uh, when they have, uh, <clears throat> you know, I wrote a thing once and never got made about a couple of hitmen, And I just refused to believe that these two guys would be pictures of health. And I made one of them a have crippling insomnia and another one have crippling migraines because I know, I know people who are not dealing with the ghosts of a million murdered souls haunting them who can't sleep and have migraines. Like why wouldn't a, why wouldn't a guy who fires a gun all the time have migraines? That seems like a pretty logical uh, thing to do. Yeah, it, 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 it's a very rich area. Jordan to, to move into, I think. Yeah, it's weird. We, we have we have evolved as a society where I think we are we are all um, we, not all, but many of us now are aware, and it is accepted that this stuff is important and interesting, and and it's important to deal with this stuff. Um, and thankfully, we do have independent voices like fan base press or 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 whatever to to push these stories, I feel like our mainstream media has gone in the wrong direction. I mean, while we're sitting here talking, I'm thinking about the Die Hard series, you know, because the the first Die Hard, <clears throat> we had this, we had this flawed hero, right? I mean, uh, John McClane is, he's not strong enough. He's not fast enough. He's maybe just smart enough, right? And it is, it is skin of his teeth every time, just outsmarting these guys. And he is put through a meat grinder. And by the end of this thing, he is 
he's been chewed up and spit out. He looks half dead. He's bloody. His he doesn't have his shoes anymore. Um, he's jumped off a building. He's barely survived. Like it, it's it, it it it's it is very interesting. Like you 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 feel for him. It's like okay, yeah. If I if I was a little bit tougher, maybe I could slip through it like that. Um, but cut to the fourth Die Hard movie. And he is this invincible, you know, uh, uh, fast and the furious like superhero <laughs> who can do no wrong. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, it's basically, a, I don't know, like a G.I. Joe cartoon or something like that. You know, um, yeah. I feel like the Fast and the Furious franchise went uh, went in that direction. You start off and, and, and it, it, it is relatable to a certain degree. It's a guy who's he's in it for his family and he's just, you know, he's he's taken VCRs because he has to. But cut to eight movies later, right? And these guys are literally superheroes like running down the sides of buildings. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I feel like our, our, our big media, our comic books, our, our, our movies have gone in the wrong direction as like, I don't know, our awareness as a society uh, uh, has, has increased. And I, I don't know what to make of that. The fastest series that evolved that way yeah. is First Blood to Rambo. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Rambo yeah. is a boiler, First Blood is a boilerplate angry vietnam movie from the 70s like yeah, yeah. angry vietnam better he's in a small town the people that he's cutting through like they're made of tissue paper are like local cops in the next movie he's tarzan and he kills every soldier in yeah. the north vietnamese army <laughs> single-handedly yeah. you know and it's like the the jump to fantasy is so fast um and he, you know i get it the audience, you know, the audience wants that, but I'm much more interested in the lion in winter. I'm much more interested in, you know, uh, Connery and uh, Robin and Marion, which is a movie about getting old and not being able to do all the shit you could do once. Yeah. Uh, and the fight kind of passing you by and moving on to other people. And that's a, that's a far more valid I mean, Alan Moore talks about it in the forward. He wrote a forward to uh, Dark Knight Returns where he said this works because comic books violate the basic tenet of heroic stories. We know how they end. We know that Robin fires the arrow and gets buried where it lands. We know Arthur ends up on the boat to Avalon. We know how the story concludes. And I think there's actually a touch of that in some ways. And this is a you know, a reach I am making, but I was thinking about all of the Star Treks that are prequels to the Star Treks we have seen earlier, all of these Star Wars that are prequels. And you know what they are? It's, we're going back to the Greeks again. No one who sat down in Oedipus Rex didn't know who Oedipus was, how he died, the circumstances of his death. So when you sit down and watch Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's just Oedipus Rex. It's just, I know I know Darth Vader essentially kills him on the Death Star. I know we know that. It doesn't take away our interest in this Sophocles writing this moment in his life. Yeah. That we can go back and look at. And it's, the, you know, the depth of seeing Captain Pike before his disabling accident. And now we know that he knew it was coming, that the future was revealed to him. And he's an even bigger hero because he ran in to save the children knowing it was going to be the end of him as a man with arms and legs and a voice and all of those things. So it's a, it, that recently occurred to me just that all of this, we've reached a point where it is the, it is ancient Greece and we're just diving into our myths and it doesn't matter that we know how the end doesn't matter that we know how Darth Vader dies. It's better actually 
Mm-hmm. We carry that with us and it creates the catharsis. We don't have to see it. even, you know, to go to a completely different place. Uh, if you've seen all the president's men, it ends pre Watergate. Really? It ends before Nixon gets caught because we know how it ends at the darkest moment. It ends at the second act curtain and you, it's okay because you go, well, but then they got it. <laughs> you know, like you can walk out going, well, but he's, you know, he's out, he, he flew away a year later and that's how this story, I know how this story ends. So you can end it on this down note, you know, but the freedom that it allows you to tell any story you want about any kind of person at any, at any of the points in their life, dark light, what have you. You know. Well, I, I think to Ryland's point earlier about uh, media and and the biggest media, you know, the Star Wars, the Star Trek. Um, I don't know if anyone here watched Book of Boba Fett, but I think that there were even there missteps and missed opportunities uh, in terms of the the mod characters who are uh, whether voluntarily or involuntarily involuntarily modified with AI. Um, none of those actors were. Uh, had different abilities or were different, you know, had limb differences. Um, and there are amazing actors out there. I mean, I can't take credit for it. Angel Jafria, who is an amazing actress and she has a, a limb difference, a, a missing arm, um, she, you know, called out Book of Boba Fett saying, hey, we're here. We, we, we can do this. It's, you know, and it's just, it's a missed opportunity. It's, you know, these, these folks are out there. They're very talented. There's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't be uh, utilizing them because they're they're very talented, and and it's also a great opportunity for for more representation. I also am not crazy about the trend of let's take the most beautiful people in the world and bury them under thirty pounds of makeup. There are a lot of men built like the penguin who could play the penguin. <laughs> I don't know that I need to swaddle. Colin Couldn't Farrell. we have just hired Richard Kind? Isn't Richard? I mean, right. Richard Kind. <laughs> that's, a per- that's a great choice, actually. Richard <laughs> Kind is available. He's funny. Uh, you know, there, there's no like, you know, and uh, you know, Jessica Chastain playing Tammy Faye Baker. Yeah, yeah. I don't. And there's a part, and then you have things like, uh, what's her name? Like, you know, Harley mm-hmm. Quinn, Margot Robbie playing. Yeah. Tanya Harding and I'm yeah. like can, can you believe how good she, can, you, can you believe how good she was at playing an ugly person oh my yeah. god you know like that that, that, that that becomes the narrative you know what I'm saying yeah, like give her an award like you know it's an attractive person played an unattractive person like can you believe it um uh yeah. there, 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 there it goes in all of these really weird directions we as a society are still so immature with all of this stuff and in terms of who we're casting and why we're casting, but then our reaction to it and all of these things. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough to watch. It, it, it's, uh, it, it's why I can't spend a lot of time on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. No, but, 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 now, but, but now as we were talking in the green room, there's a downvote button. So maybe, uh, you know, yeah. I don't know, maybe I'll put it to use. But yeah, it is. It, it, I remember when I was a kid, I always heard Fellini used as sort of shorthand for, his movies have freaks and weirdos and whatever. And then you watch the movies and you're like, they're just normal human beings in these movies. And Marcello Mastriani and Claudia Cardinale, because, you know, let's look at some pretty people. But everyone else in the movie just looks like a normal human being instead of another supermodel. Another Like, it's not a movie with 100 Mastrianis and 100 Cardinales in it. There's a, you know, there are people with different bodies and different shapes and different experiences and it was such a tell to me even when i was a teenager i'd go 
wait, this is viewed as a movie with a bunch of freaks in it? Like, that's not, this just looks like the mall. Just looks, <laughs> like, like, it just looks like Michigan, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this looks like walking around any place in the real world that isn't, you know, the lobby of a casting agent. Um, and And that's the, you know, it's been proven over and over and over again that we, you know, we all want to see our lives and experiences reflected in media and how incredibly powerful it is to us. You know, I remember, you know, I have, I have a friend who's been involved in a lot of extremely popular media and he was blown away by uh, Cassie and Andor in Rogue One. He's like, someone in Star Wars has an accent that I recognize from my life and my culture and my experience and how big a deal that is, you know, and that's, uh, and again, you know, we've been saying this, but going back to it, illness is just another thing that we all live with, that we all have something, you know, certainly over the age of 25, you know, something will come down the pike. Um, and that's just the world you live in. And if you make a movie where no one, no one's ever sick. No one has a cold. No one has a fever. No one, you know, like that's just, it's bizarre. And there are people who curate their life to be like friends. Mm -hmm. I will have friends that are all like me, that are all relatively attractive. No one, you know, like no one is overweight. No one is black. No one is disabled. No one is ever ill. No one is ever poor, you know, and that's a, uh, Sometimes I watch shows like that and I say, there's more fantasy and science fiction in the average sitcom than there is on any Star Trek or Star Wars show. <laughs> you know, like I don't, I don't see life as it is lived on Earth uh, on those shows either, you know, and the unrealistic, uh, you know, beer commercials take place in a dimension I do not know and have not visited. Uh, <laughs> where every unattractive lump of a man is married to a supermodel. Uh, there's a really great show I would like to recommend. The first season is long out. The second is coming called, uh, oh, uh, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Uh, it's on AMC with, they find different ways to cover the word fuck in every opening credit sequence, which is funny. But half of the show is a brightly lit three color sitcom about a fat guy who's married to a ridiculously gorgeous woman. And then when he leaves the room, the set goes dark and it's an AMC drama about a woman trapped in a horrible marriage. And it's a gorgeous show, it's beautiful, but it also just, it's about how sitcoms are madness and not don't reflect human reality in any way, shape or form. Uh, I recommend it highly. I think the lead is Annie Murphy from um, Schitt's Creek. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a, uh, it's just a tremendously good show, but, uh, but yeah, reflecting, you can't reflect reality without illness. And that's literally 99% of the media we consume. Yeah. The most we get is two minutes in the back to tank. <laughs> <laughs> Or Magically healed after a few uh, sessions. Dr. McCoy pokes a thing in your arm and yeah, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. I'm good. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and I think it encourages magical thinking. Honestly, mm -hmm. it encourages people to not accept, you know, the fact that you killed it. Jim Starlin was so mad when they brought 
Captain Marvel back because he made them promise him that they wouldn't do it. He said, if I do this, that's it for Marvel. He's dead. And he actually did a series years later after they brought Marvel back from the dead. I can't remember the name of it. But the universe is collapsing. The multiverse is collapsing. Everything's being destroyed. And Thanos is trying to investigate why it's happening. And he discovers it's becomes Captain Marvel came back from the dead. Nice. <laughs> and it was Jim Starlin going, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm destroying the entire Marvel universe. That's how, mad, that's how mad me and Thanos are about you bringing uh, Captain Marvel back from the dead. There's a, it, it's not to, not to go too far off topic, but I think it's, it's a, there is a one Jim Starlin panel in, the death of Captain Marvel that I've never stopped thinking about. And it applies to so many situations in life, including, and this is about illness and death, but Thanos is in love with death, with the goddess of death, who is a beautiful woman in a black cloak. And as he is in the last moments of his life, he's having this mental fantasy where he's fighting Thanos. And at the end of it, he presents, he presents death, to Captain Marvel and says, are you ready? And Captain Marvel passes his hand over her face and it becomes the face of a skull. And he says, I just no longer need the illusion. That has stayed with me since the day. I think about that in so many, someone will tell me a pleasant lie and I just wanna go, <laughs> show me the skull Thanos because I know what we're actually talking about here. I know we're talking about death and disease and the end. Mm -hmm. now, no longer, I don't, you don't need to show me the pretty face. I'm good. Show me the skeleton. Yeah. And uh, that's a, to me, at least, that was a remarkably profound, you know, thing, psychologically, philosophically, et cetera. And obviously that's something, you know, you have to deal with over the course of the series, not for spoilers, but does his disease evolve? Does it, you know, is there anything you can say about that? Um, well, his, his disease doesn't involve, but the problems it causes increase if, if that makes sense. So yeah, it, it, it will become a bigger problem as the issues, uh, sure. carry on. so, and, and this is to be five issues. Is that correct? correct. Yep. Five yep. issues, but, uh, there, some of them are, are like an issue and a half in length they're, they're they vary. So it's all, it's about six issues of story. I would say when it's yeah. all, when it's all compiled in the trade, that's but, the one. I mean, and that's the, that's one of the joys of digital and then a trade. You're not sort of, I love it. you know, the, the degree to which people who don't work in the monthly comics industry don't know that your life is about multiples of eight. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's how paper is folded, like yep. literally. And that's kind of, and yeah, you know, you can, most comic, a lot of comics are 20 pages now and the rest of it is ads and what have you. But the, the fact that you constantly have to think in terms of 20, 24, 36, 42, you know, like that, that's, those yep. are the lengths that you can hit and shoot for. And uh, 20 pages is not a lot to tell a story in it's hard to get any B story into 20 pages, yeah. you know, and have it be smooth. Yeah. And I agree. That's what I love most about digital and trade is that the, like the restriction is gone. It's the story's done when, when it, it has room to breathe. So you get, you get it all in there to where you feel good about it. And uh, it's, it's very liberating. 
That's yeah, cool. no, having the page when I started, I was writing 22 page comics, and literally, like my second series, the publisher went to 20 page books, and I was like, Oh, I feel those, I miss those two pages every day. Yeah. <laughs> I want yeah. those two pages back every day because, but you know, in the 70s, you go back and look, a lot of comics are 12 pages, 16 pages, and then there's a six to eight page backup, and mm -hmm. you at the time that didn't register on you how short it was and how, mm -hmm. you know, it's all, uh, it's such a, it's a, it's a fascinating medium and it's evolution. Uh, like I said, I think the digital to trade route, particularly if you're not dealing with a giant, uh, economy of scale where you're not printing 50,000 issues. It's a very smart way to go. I think scouts have been doing the thing where they'll print a number one mm -hmm. and, yeah. and it's all digital and then it's a trade. Uh, which also makes sense because so many people you, I, I do this, you read the first issue and unless it's just the most knock your socks off thing in the world and you can't wait, you go, yeah, okay. I read this. I'll turn it in for credit in a month and, uh, then I'll buy the trade. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll be fine. I can wait five months for this. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's great. That's a great deal. Uh, we should probably wrap up. We've, we've, we've hit an hour mark. But uh, do you have any plans? Does this come to a final ending or is a part two a possibility? Um, it, the arc ends, but I mean, the, the future is completely open. So yeah, our, our story arc ends, but there's, there's many more to be had if, if, uh, if possible. So sure. always love to leave that there. Yeah, it wouldn't be comic books if you didn't leave. <laughs> no, no. You know, you got to have some. I mean, I do believe in, I, who was it? I think the showrunner of Westworld, someone asked him about planning for future seasons. And he said, you know, we try to just leave it all on the table. And then when we get renewed, I go, now what didn't I wrap up? What did I, <laughs> yeah. what did I, leave, what did I leave hanging? And there's always a lot, you yeah. know, especially in something that's dense. There's always... A direction you can go even if it's an unexpected one uh and i can yeah, promise no. there's no multiverse in ripple. yeah there is no mul ripple effects multiverse to keep the story going and gone characters come back that won't happen so you say that now <laughs> yeah i know famous last words just wait but, for the crossover event we've got yeah, that coming yeah, yeah. yeah. There you, go. <laughs> I, you know i'm in favor of the multiverse as a way of as a simple rejection of canon of like you got an idea, it violates canon. We got a whole other universe right here for you. Just step step through this portal and uh and it and it starts all over again. Cuz you know, we've been dealing with uh a friend of mine once expressed time in units of Batman and I thought that was <laughs> the funniest thing I had heard in my life. We were talking about like the 90s or something and my friend was like, "Oh, it's like 8 Batman ago." <laughs> and I, you're right. That is that is that many Batman ago, and yeah. uh, there's a lot of damn Batman. Uh, like we've only been through two James Bonds, but there've been eight Batman in all of that time. That's exhausting. Uh, um, anyway, uh, we always wrap up with where can we find you, and and uh, and where can people find you on the internet? So, Barbara, why don't you start with where should people go right now at the end of the show to find uh, Ripple Effect? 
Absolutely. So you can go to rippleeffectscomic.com and there you can pre-order the trade paperback if you'd like. You can learn more about the series uh, and of course about Fanbase Press as well. Ripple Effects is on Facebook and Twitter. So you can find us there and Fanbase Press is at fanbasepress.com. We're on all of the social medias. Uh, just uh, Google search us and then we'll be there. Nice. And you yourself on the social medias? I, must, I mean, I know I Fanbase yes. Press, but... Indeed. I am on the social medias as well. Uh, you can find me at Barbara J. Dillon on Twitter and Instagram, question mark, I think. Um, but uh, but yes, I'm I'm active on both. So you can find me on those and Facebook as well. And nice. many, they do many fine podcasts a week. And I don't just say that because I'm frequently on them. We love having <laughs> you on them. Jordan, where can we find you? Uh, yep, all, on all the fan base accounts that uh, Barbara just mentioned for Ripple Effects uh, information, and they will also have my handle if if it's a little hard to spell out. It's a little confusing. It's at Jordy Jordith, so J O R D Y J O R D I T H on Instagram. So you can uh, follow me there. We'll have it in the show notes. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Everything will be clickable uh, underneath this when we play it. And oh. Ryland. Uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. It's another weird one, R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. If you're not uh, uh, watching, if you're listening, I uh, spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. And so now I have to spell it for you. Um, but uh, my books, which I uh, uh, found a way to pimp a little bit during the thing, uh, <laughs> during the show Aberrants and Banjacks, uh, which deals deal with uh, real life uh, ills of superhero types can be found in uh, comic shops uh, everywhere and via Amazon. Uh, Suicide Jockeys, my um, uh, it's another troubled uh, hero, but my Tokusatsu joint uh, can also be found there. Um, my Kickstarter books, uh, the Fargo West Crime Drama, The Peacekeepers, and the uh, Astral Projection Thriller, The Jump can be found via my uh, backer kit site. If you go to the jump backerkit.com the jump one word and the number two, the jump backerkit.com you'll find all that stuff as well as signed copies of Aberrant and Banjax and rare con variants and all that stuff. It's a uh, one-stop Ryland Grant shop. And as I said, at the top of the show, uh, my latest and greatest, the uh, Wuxia Kung Fu epic uh, Fashing Origins is available right now via the uh, the Immortal Studios website. So if you Google Immortal Studios or if you go to immortal-studios.com, you'll find it there. Just uh, hit the store link and uh, check it out. Um, Very nice. Yeah, bring us on home, Avalone. Uh I looked it up, and June 22nd, so next Wednesday, is when Elvira and Harland 2 drops. Uh, your shop currently may have Elvira and Harland number one. Uh Block issue one called Block Party as a tribute to my late friend Robert Block, the author of Psycho. And uh, coming up in about a month from now will be the third issue, but also the trade paperback of Elvira Meets Vincent Price, which is the series that comes before this. And it is exactly what it sounds like. And uh, I also have a couple of short stories in an upcoming Dynamite thing called Strange Tales where I wrote an Alan Quatermain story and a Gullivar of Mars story, because I will say yes to any ridiculous thing. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show, Jordan and Barbara. Thanks for sharing thank this great project with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. The rest of you on the next episode of The Writer's Block. Thanks for listening. Telly award winning.
<laughs> if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.